Hey, good morning, Munchropolis. It's now 5 after the hour of 6 a.m. in the big monster city. Come on! Let's get pumped! I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot! What can I say? The camera loves me. Shall we begin? After you, Junior. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Multiplex Logged It. Uh, this should be a fun episode. We're talking comedy villains. Villains that make you chuckle and go, ha, ha, ha. Uh, or maybe they don't, and they just happen to be in comedy movies. Who knows? Right, uh, but this should be a fun panel. We've got Mr. Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you feeling today? Uh, doing all right. Always a, a pleasure to be here, even though I usually end up finding out about it on the day of the show. But that's no problem. I uh, always look forward to Tim's messages when I'm at lunch or something. Of, hey, are you free to do log it tonight? I was. <laughs> that's fair. That is completely fair. Uh, Jack. Do you have a do you have a evil villain laugh? Uh, none that I care to do when I am not muted. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, you're here. Uh, Kirk, Kirk, how are you? I'm doing all right. Currently, we're under uh, tornado watch, so oh. hopefully that passes out of it. But could get exciting. Who knows? We'll see. That's fair. I'm I'm in Iowa. We we when we get the tornado watch, it's like. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Bye. Like they, 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 they don't care. They don't, they don't care. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll get into the show. Uh, first up, your favorite movie you log this week, Scott. We'll start with you. Um, okay. Well, there are a couple that I could go with, um, but I kind of want to mention uh, this movie, Memoria, um, which, technically speaking, is a 2021 movie i guess if you know anything about the movie you might know that neon did a really weird distribution strategy with it um where they said we're going to show this in one city every week just one city in the country um naturally it didn't get very far and uh, they've now put it out in like a limited release basically um in a bunch of places one of those places happened to be uh where i live here in north carolina um, so I went to see it. This is by the Thai filmmaker, Apichitpong Wirasethakul. Um, his most famous movie is Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, which um, people might have heard of. But this is his latest movie, um, and it stars Tilda Swinton as this woman um, who <clears throat> um, starts overhearing this strange sound at night coming from it seems like it's coming from her house at first, um, but then she begins to explore um, a little bit more and she hears it in other places, um, a weird sort of percussive sound that she can't really pinpoint the sound of. She's in Colombia um, for reasons that are a little bit hazy, um, but the whole movie takes place in the country of Colombia. And it ends up being her quest in, to some sense in some sense of trying to figure out what cause what is causing this sound uh, but then weird things start happening in her life too where um, she starts wondering if she imagined things and whether this sound is somehow affecting her state of mind and everything too um it's a very interesting movie very slow and deliberately paced um we're safe has like a very strong appreciation for like the natural world so there are like a lot of still like if you like like planet earth porn there are just like a lot of still shots of like the environment and there's rain coming down and um there's one um moment where it just holds on a guy like sleeping in the middle of the forest for like two minutes and it's like very peaceful and soothing at times but also like what's going on in the movie kind of will raise your blood pressure at certain points um, it takes a really weird turn for the uh, supernatural in the end. I don't think I fully went with it, um, but it's a challenging movie. It's an interesting movie by an interesting um, filmmaker, and I would encourage people to check it out in theaters because if you can, obviously, it might be a little difficult. But um, I think it's a it, it's it's a good sensory experience despite not being you know like a blockbuster or anything. So a unique movie. I think people should check it out. Fair enough. Kirk, have you seen this? I have not. Um, uh, I had 
randomly heard of it, but this is like the most detail I've gotten on it. I think it's mean to release this and memory at the same time because you're going to confuse. Fair. There's a lot no of crossover in the name. audience. Yeah. Audiences, though, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Jack, I'm going to assume you haven't seen this. You assume correctly. There we go. Uh, imagine if you were just like, I've seen this. Twice. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, now we'll get to Kirk. Kirk, what was your favorite movie you watched this week? Uh, my favorite movie is one that's kind of been banding around the community the past couple weeks. I finally got to it, uh, The Lion in Winter. Um, this is a movie I'd want to see for a while, um, and I think Cody and some other people have been talking about it. So uh, definitely perked my interest, and I wanted to check it out. Uh, it's fantastic. I love this movie. It's uh, Catherine Hepburn and Peter O'Toole. Uh, they're the king and queen. Uh, they have three sons. They got to decide which one of them is going to, you know, be the next king. Uh, they both want a different one. Obviously, all three sons want to be king, and it just basically, you know, uh, you know, deals and bargains made and broken, and promises made and broken. Um, it's Game of Thrones. If Game of Thrones was classy enough to have uh, '60s Catherine Hepburn in the cast, um, but it's definitely got that kind of vibe to it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's very like Shakespearean in the drama. They briefly reference King Lear and it kind of has that feel to it. Um, but the standouts are Hepburn and O'Toole, uh, both doing awesome performances. Uh, but they also, the dynamic between the two of them, like I said, they're the king and queen and they're a little bit older. They're getting along, you know, like they're kind of, you know, I guess in the 1100s, that their ages towards the end of your life. And they're kind of like accepted the fact of who they are and what they are. And they can't have like normal relationships uh, in their lives. You know, whether it's your spouse, your kids, everybody's just a pawn on a chessboard to you. And they've kind of embraced that, and they enjoy playing the game, and they enjoy playing the game with each other. And there's there's so many layers of relationship. Like, they're, they're kind of just always trying to one-up each other, but there's some real affection. And I've talked before about how I like movies about relationships that are formed because the people involved just have a mutual understanding of a life or a lifestyle that most people don't or never going to be able to grasp. And like that brings them together. And that happens here. Um, it's just, it's, they're, they're fun together. They're funny. There's a lot of like moments where you're just laughing out loud at the, the, the way they're just bantering back and forth. Um, it's, it's a really great movie. I think everybody should check it out. Yeah. Uh, I, I love this film. I think normally the pipeline in this community it's usually the order of I watch it and I tell Cody to watch it. Then Cody watches it and then Kirk watches it and then everybody starts watching it. I feel like that's kind of, or it's the reverse and it's Kirk, Cody, me. But usually like that's the pipeline to a movie becoming popular in this community. Um, one of those two directions. Uh, I, I really dig this one. As Kirk said, it's got a lot of that playing games and you know familial like just everybody is playing everybody and i love the way the three sons are used and also use the parents a little bit but even though they're the ones that are primarily being used it's so interesting especially the son that nobody really wants to be king the way he's playing everybody it's great and also like we talked about O'Toole and Hepburn, who are obviously like the two standouts because they're the two leads and they're great. You got Anth a young Anthony Hopkins in this movie and a young Timothy Dalton in this movie. Very young. And they're both great. They're both great. Uh, so absolutely excellent. Jack, have you seen this? No, but I want to really badly. This is high on my watch list. I just haven't gotten around to it. That is fair. Uh, Scott? Haven't seen it yet, but uh, you know, I'm a big fan of everyone involved, so uh, I'd like to get around to it at some point. That is fair. Okay, Jack, what's your favorite movie you watched this week? Well, uh, I'm not going to pick this this week because uh, I the Northman was a little bit ago, but I did go back and watch Robert Eggers' first film, The Witch, and that was a great movie. Uh, uh, Anya Taylor Joy was fantastic in it, uh, basically. Uh, takes place. I can't remember what year it takes place in, but uh, 1600s. I don't know. Yeah, 16, I think the 1630s, uh, around 1630s, 1640s, somewhere in there. Uh, but basically, these uh, uh, this family uh, is essentially exiled from their their village, and they uh, have to live just uh, on their own, like in the wilderness uh and uh they're the 
their newborn child uh, disappears and things and their crops begin to fail and things just kick off from there. Anya Taylor-Joy's got a really great performance of this. One of her better performances that I've seen, I can't remember the name of the Anya Taylor-Joy's father in it, but uh, yeah. Ralph Innocent, yeah. Yes, Ralph Innocent. Thank you so much. He's great in this. I have trouble understanding uh, things he says 100% of the time, but he's he gives a solid performance as well. But my goodness, did I make a mistake watching it at one in the morning, two days in a row? It was, it's it's great. And no, that ending is phenomenal, incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm not big on the witch. I just don't think this is a me movie. I I'm just uh, I'm I I like the idea of these kind of paranoia horror movies, but I I don't know. Maybe it's the setting. I'm just not really into. I don't know what it is. It just. This one does not work for me. I get why people like it. It just, this isn't for me. Uh, Scott? Yeah, I love this movie. I think this is my favorite of Eggers' movies still, I think. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Like, you know, for for a first feature, it's like, it's so um, confident at its own thing. Like, he, Robert Eggers immediately, like, establishes his own style that he has, like, maintained throughout his movies. Like, you definitely know when you're watching one of his movies, and it was, like, present immediately from the first movie because, you know, nobody was really making movies like this. So that the atmosphere is great. Um, you know, I like his use of the period and, you know, he, a very effective evocation of the period and the um, authentic dialogue and everything. Um, he really takes a swing for it, and at least for me, it pays off. Um, and yeah, I think Anya Anya gives a great performance as well. Um, one of her best and uh, haunting ending to the movie. That's fair, Kirk. Uh, yeah, I mean, I respect the movie. It's very well made. Great performances, like Scott said, it's very atmospheric and achieves in that sense everything it's trying to do. Um, I'm the opposite of J Jack, though. I've said this before. Like the ending, I just can't get on board with it. Um, and I don't, I won't spoil anything, but Basically, I mean, I know, I understand that it represents other things and maybe it's not meant to be taken literally, but I can't get past literally what's happening. And we followed this character for so long and now th that's it. And this is what they're going to do. And like that just is a bit, and I mean, I, 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 I'm a fan of down endings. Like I love hereditary. Like I could take a, a down ending in a horror movie, no problem. But for, for some reason, just specifically this one where she specifically ends up, I just, like I said, I can't get on board with it. I agree with everything you just said. Okay, so now we get to me. Uh, I'm going with a uh, <laughs> film uh, that has two titles. Uh, I'm going with the U.S. title. You could also call it the uh, U.K. title. Stairway to Heaven, also known as A Matter of Life and Death. Uh, this is a Powell and Pressburger movie. I've been wanting to watch more of them. Uh, I know um, I know John's in the chat, so uh, get get hyped, John. Um, this movie is awesome. Uh, so for those who haven't seen it, basically premise is David Niven is this like World War II fighter pilot who his plane goes down, and by all means of logic, he should die, and he doesn't. Uh, and basically we find that it was just due to a slip up in the afterlife. But in that time, he's fallen in, in love and now he wants to stay alive. So then there's kind of this whole thing of like, they're kind of, they're trying to get him back, but he's trying to argue that he should stay. And it turns into a little bit of a trial, uh, towards the end. And if you know me, you know, a movie that is about the afterlife and has a trial in it or a trial-like thing, what's that going to be? I, I, let me just say, I'm pretty sure Albert Brooks really enjoyed this one. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, th this movie's awesome. It's like got great little comedic moments, so I wouldn't necessarily call it a comedy. I really like this one. Cast is great all around. This movie's awesome. I want to watch way more Pablo and Pressburger now. Uh, Jack, I'm going to guess you haven't seen this. I mean, the song is good. But other than that, no, uh, no knowledge of Stairway to Heaven. That's fair. Uh, Kirk? Yeah, I saw somebody had this on the top 100 last year, so I watched it for that. And um, 
it was I liked it. Like it's fun. Like I like the heaven and earth stuff, like how they like the, the, the visual differences and just the fact it's like heaven it's heaven's black and white, right? And the earth and earth is in color. I just thought that was interesting because usually like they reverse that kind of stuff. Um and I, I like the look of it and the and, and the atmosphere this one builds. Uh I for me there was just a, I, I what kept me from loving it was it kind of has like a lot of that like 40s like melodrama and cheese to it. And that that kind of knocked out a couple things for me, but it was still a fun movie to watch. Scott, that must have been Jake Crookshank that had it. I can't think of anyone else who would have had this on their list. But <laughs> yeah, uh, no, because that was you, Rue, and Ethan, right? Or no, yeah. no, not Ethan. Adelaide. Or, That's Adelaide, yeah, yeah. And no, no way Adelaide has seen this, and no way I would assume you and Rue haven't seen. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen it yet, but, uh, you know, it sounds interesting. I, too, enjoy defending your life and, you know, trial scenes and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd probably be into it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, that's uh, the movies we liked. Let's talk about the crap. Scott, what, what was bad this week? So, I talked about Moria, which is kind of a brain-melting movie in a good way, in my opinion. Um, and I happened to watch a movie that's also a brain-melting movie in a not-so-good way. Um, when I went to see Inland Empire um, at my indie theater this week. Um, this is David Lynch's most recent movie. Um, it's you know, 16 years old now, but it's been very hard to come by for years, but they just did a new 4K remaster of it and have released it at some theaters. I've never seen it before. I do very much enjoy David Lynch for the most part, so I knew I had to go and check this out, even though I've heard a lot of things over the years about this movie is like his most inscrutable thing ever, like just you need to just accept that it's not going to make any sense. And you know what? Everyone was right. Um, I feel like this movie is kind of um, the things that Kirk incorrectly says about Mulholland Drive are, are actually true about this movie. Um, it starts off OK, like Laura Dern plays this actress who is getting cast in a remake. Well, not a remake in a movie that um, was once they tried to make it in Poland with uh it was a failed production a failed polish production because it was like it was like cursed um and so they set it up with laura dern as this actress and justin thoreau is her co-star and jeremy irons is directing it and the first hour like is fairly straightforward in a lynch way at least as straightforward as lynch will be um and then it just decides to go to crazy town and never come back for two hours because this movie is three hours long yes it is and I don't hate the movie. Like, I, I don't, honestly. Like, I admire, like, I, I find it interesting as just, like, a look in what goes on in David Lynch's psyche. But, like, I would be lying if I said I had any clue about basically anything that happens in the last two hours of this movie. So um, it's going to be hard for me to get too far with a movie when that's the case. Um, but I doesn't. I don't lose any respect for David Lynch. Like again, Mulholland Drive, Twin Peaks is still some of my favorite stuff. So um, I'm glad to have seen it. Uh, but I am ready for David Lynch to finally make a new movie, so that this doesn't have to be his like swan song when it comes to film. I'm gonna give a compliment uh, to David Lynch that will make all the David Lynch fans mad, which is that David Lynch for me, I kind of view David Lynch the same way I view Tim Burton. Which is that, like, I feel like the best David Lynch movies and the best Tim Burton movies are the ones that just are a little bit more grounded and just basically force Lynch and Burton to kind of add that style to the groundedness rather than ones where the stories themselves kind of give their directors free range to go all in because that's where I think we get some weaknesses. Um, and like, that's why my favorite Lynch movie is elephant man. Elephant man is awesome because it's Lynch adding a little bit of weirdness to a very grounded story. Um, I don't know if this would be for me. Uh, Jack, gonna guess you haven't no seen this. No, no I'd, I'd be, I'd be floored if you had seen this. Kirk, I have not seen it. I'm going to guess you haven't seen this. I have not. And I've like, I'm kind of with you, Bowman. I think I think you and I probably have sit, or you know down the line with Lynch and you know what we like and what we don't like. I, I wish I liked him more because as a person, he's just really cool. Like I love watching David Lynch interviews and just listen to him his talk. weather like, reports. He's, are amazing. he's so much fun. But uh, 
Yeah, Scott sold this to me as a worse small hauler drive, and so I'm, I'm probably not going to get to this anytime soon. To, to be fair, most things are worse than Mulholland and Drive, in my opinion, but um, especially this. I, I'm looking at it from Kirk's perspective. If he hates Mulholland and Drive, he'll definitely hate this. That is fair. Okay, Kirk, did you say something about this movie while I was having internet problems? No, I just said I wish I would like it, but oh. I probably won't. Fair enough. Uh, so now we go over to Kirk. Okay, this is probably going to upset some people in the community and uh, some people on this call maybe too because uh, I didn't like this franchise. I watched Scream 2022. Finally got around to that one. And um, these, like, they don't need to make the scary movies anymore because the Scream franchise is enough of a parody of itself at this point that, um, you know, they have it covered. Uh, this movie is just really hard to like listen to. The dialogue is awful. And listen, the first scream was great because you had one character, you had Randy, and he was the movie guy, and he knew all the movie stuff. And everybody laughed, like, "Oh, you're dumb. It's just you just blather on about movies. It doesn't it's not real life." And then it was cool. The cool twist was, "Hey, he was right." Now all these movies, everybody's the movie guy, and everybody talks that meta dialogue that's just so bad, so poorly written. And then they throw in words like, you know, requel and elevated horror to make you think they're doing something new and not just completely rehashing the same 25-year-old plot, which is what they're doing. Um, it just, they, they, it's not covering any new ground. It's just basically, it's just like I said, it's rehashing everything. And I don't want to give away too much about the ending, so I'll say vague. But the thing they're trying to address at the end, I don't think enough people care about Scream one way or another for that to be a problem with Scream for Scream in real life. And, I mean, I think they're pretty obvious what they're talking about, you know, with the uh, the Knives Out guy directing the Ace Stab movie. I think it's pretty obvious what they're, re what they're referencing. And I think it's really weird and kind of pathetic that they're just like, oh, here's something people are talking about uh, with another franchise that's still relevant. Let's let's take that, pretend it's about us. And they're, like, they're just not even in the horror realm anymore. They're just doing whatever. And it's just all the evidence you need that this you know, this franchise has absolutely nothing left to offer, left, left to say, and they just really need to let it die. I'll be honest, Kirk. I know you were talking negatively about Scream 2022. I haven't seen Scream 2022 yet, but you kind of sold me on it. For <laughs> being honest, like everything you brought up was a negative. Like everybody's the Randy. Like that gets to be real. That, that was Scream Four too. That's everybody's movie. Yes, and I like Scream Four. I like Scream Four. <laughs> everybody's the Randy. That's that Scream. Scream Five. Oops, all Randys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I, I like all of the Scream movies to varying degrees. Um, I mean, the first one's still the best for me, and then probably the second one, honestly. But I, I really had a good time with this. I think, I don't know, I think Kirk's taking it a little too narrowly. Like, I think they're trying to comment on fandom as a whole, not necessarily Scream fandom specifically. Like, of course, it's in a Scream setting. but Yeah, but if they don't um, have anything left to say about themselves, which is these movies, all these movies have been, then it's a point. Well, no, I mean, I, I I had my doubts about how they were going to be able to update it for 2022, you know, mainly because I thought Scream 4 did such a good job of making like the social media age, um, you know, Scream movie. But without saying too much, because I know people still haven't seen it, like, I think, you know, the stuff they do with like commenting on elevated horror and legacy sequels and stuff like that's how they update it, because this is stuff that we are seeing now and weren't seeing you know, back when Scream 4 came out. Um, so I think they did a surprisingly good job of updating it for me. Now, I don't know what they're going to be able to do in the next one, which is a coming out like next year. Um, but look, they've given me no reason to doubt them thus far, even though it's not West Craven. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, Jack, have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have. I, I've, I've seen it twice in the theater. And uh, yeah, I, I like it. Uh, but could you imagine Ryan Johnson fucking up the eighth movie in a franchise so badly? It no, I literally could not. Yeah, <laughs> it is the eighth movie. Shut up, it is the eighth movie. But like, yeah, you're still it's good. <laughs> good, you're wrong. Anyway, now we go to Jack. All right. Well, 
I'm an idiot because I decided I want to watch all the best picture winners and we got to simmer on this week. And this this movie shit. I'm sorry. Uh like I get it. Uh like here's the thing. I get it's the 30s and sound uh design isn't nearly uh as good back then as it is now today. But holy shit, is this movie painful to listen to. <laughs> All Quiet on the Western Front had better sound design. Broadway Melody had better sound design. And uh, ouch, it, 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 it hurt to listen to. But it is also just like kind of really offensive as well. And it is not aged. It, it, this is aged like sour milk, uh, and it's it, and it's it shows. It's not good in any way, shape, or form. This is a like there's movies that have won Oscars that have been lost to time and aren't able available to be watched anymore. Like uh, Disraeli, I, I think that one you can't find anywhere. This should have been one of them. This is a bad movie. Yeah, uh, Kirk Scott, have either of you seen Cimarron? I've only heard that, like, it's basically what Jack said. This is, like, one of the two or three worst Best Picture winners easily. That's all. I've yeah, heard. I have this. I am I want to do what you guys are doing eventually, just check them all, all the Best Picture winners off my list. Um, and I know HBO Max has, like, a bunch of the old ones, uh, and I, they're all sitting on my watch list, and I'm just putting them off for as long as I possibly can because I've heard nothing but bad things. See, part on the Western Front's great, but this that one is great. great. Here's here's my biggest frustration with this community, right? I was the first person, as far as I know, to actually watch all of them. I did it. I did the thing. I climbed Mount Everest. And I told everyone, no, don't do this. This is an awful idea. Stop. Don't do it. I hated myself. Stop. And what did the people do? Oh, let's make a podcast around it and a whole thing where we get to where we go through all of them on a week by week basis. Kirk, don't. Here's <laughs> watch some of the ones. Watch the look, just watch the ones that have like I've given like a two and a half for above. Because I'll be honest, I was maybe a little generous with some of these ratings because I I was I got Stockholm Syndrome by the end. <laughs> like, I gave this movie two stars initially, and honestly, that was way too high. Um, but I, I got a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. Don't watch these. Just don't watch these. Don't watch them, Ron. It's bad. Thank you. Uh, so now we go over to me. And the worst movie I watched this week, I should have had this prepared. I didn't. I got distracted by how bad Cimarron was and by, uh, you know, no one heeding my word. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's the worst. All right. Uh, hey, uh, is Andrew Barr watching? Because uh, I, I watched a little film, uh, you know, starring James Cagney about a Certain uh, theater uh, composer, Yankee Doodle Dan. I I called it Yankee Dandy Doodle. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I don't respect this movie enough to change that writing. Um, <laughs> this movie is bad. This movie is like really boring. Like that's the thing, right? I don't I don't think George M. Cohen deserved a movie I think is like the biggest problem is I just don't think this guy really deserved a movie and like all the songs are like fine there are like two or three I recognize like yeah the, that's the song and even then it's not I don't even want to see a full musical number let alone a movie around it um ever like I just don't think the, the movie itself is very interesting it just feels like such a slog to get through uh, Walter Houston was nominated for this, and I'll be honest, I don't get it. He's, like, not great, and I like Walter Houston. James Cagney won, and he's good. He's good. I don't, like, love this performance. I think he's solid. I, I just think this movie's kind of bad. Scott, have you seen this? 
I haven't, but you know what? It's a good thing that they stopped making musical biopics about people who didn't have interesting stories after 1942, and that's definitely never happened again. Uh, Jack? Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't seen this one, but chances are I'll watch it at some point because it won't mess Kirk? I've seen it. I don't feel strongly negative about you. I think there's a lot wrong with it. Um, I but I do think Cagney elevates. I think Cagney deserves to win just because he, in my opinion, he makes this movie watchable. I think his performance is. I mean, it's just it's just like a lot of like raw, raw patriotism, like borderline propaganda. Um, but he brings something real to it, and I really enjoyed watching him. Uh, and you know, with, without him, this would be like maybe one of the worst movies. This would be like a like one of those like you know reels they show before a movie the like you know for like recruitment during world war ii or whatever like that's what this movie would basically be without him and i'll uh, give you uh, that i'll give yeah. you that without cagney this movie is worth cat cagney is the one good thing in this movie i just don't think he's that good but i get there yeah. um yeah so uh that concludes it for oh scott you didn't say anything about this did you yeah i did i just made oh you did okay no. never mind uh, so, but that concludes it for least favorite this week. Uh, so now we get into the main thing, comedy villains. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. All right. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and take what I hope is one of the obvious choices off the board. Uh, and I'm going to pick Regina George from Mean Girls. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie is iconic. Um, I think, especially for people of, you know, the generation around myself and jack that we're in but i think it's transcended that honestly at this point i think um it's just pretty widely accepted as a very very funny movie and while all the performances in it are you know contribute to that i think you know um rachel mcadams as regina george kind of like like i feel like this is the definitive mean girl performance like they're just i don't feel like anyone can ever do it again i don't know that anyone ever did it before her honestly certainly not as well as she did um but like basically every single line that she has in this movie like is a meme at this point like you know we, we you, you can pretty much recite all of the lines that she has um she's the she she perfectly captures i think that like feeling of the popular person being just a horrible vapid and like evil person but also having this like um cult of personality around them where they can't help but attract people still and people still want to try and do everything like them and be like them and imitate them even though everyone knows that, that she is a horrible person um and i think um you know, she, she's able to portray that really well. Rachel McAdams is a very versatile actress. Um, you know, we've seen her in all kinds of movies and this really shows off her comedic chops. I think, um, you know, again, she um, fully buys into this role and makes it something special. I mean, it, it you know, I don't think that this, uh, even that's a funny character on the page, I'm sure I don't think that this character would be Regina George, right? Like would be a cultural icon. Um, without Rachel McAdams playing the role. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not much needs to be said. I think she's, like I said, I would hope that she's one of the obvious choices here. Yeah, uh, I 120% agree. This is a completely fair pick. Uh, Regina George, like, I this, this would have been my first pick had you not picked it. Like, to me, this is one of the few comedy villains that also just, while being a comedic villain, does not exist just for the joke. Like a lot of comedy villains, they are there just to be the joke. Whereas, or they're the stick in the mug. Like she just has such a great comedic identity while also just feeling like a fully fleshed out character. And Rachel McAdams is so funny. So funny. And her interactions with other mean girls are great. Uh, Jack? Yeah, no, uh, Great pick. This would have been my pick uh, had you not taken it as well. But uh, yeah, no, uh, she's fantastic in this film. Uh, yeah, no, love her. She's great. Kirk. Um, yeah, as soon as Tim told me the category for the night, I knew this was going to be you know the, the obvious pick. Um, but it's a good pick, and it it should be on the list. Um, I think it's just the, the script for this movie is just so tight. All the characters are so well done. Um, this could yeah. so easily be just another 
high school movie with stereotypical stock high school characters. Um, but I think Tina Fey did such a good job, uh, you know, just creating these characters and making them real. And uh, you know, Regina George definitely one of the one of the best ones. Absolutely. Uh, that everybody on Mean Girls, I think. Yeah, uh, Kirk, your first pick. Okay, my first pick. I don't know if this is someone you would necessarily consider the villain of this movie, but they're definitely like an antagonist. They're kind of like the catalyst for all the bad things that happen. Um, I'm going to go with Sterling Hayden as General Jack D. Ripper in Doctor Strangelove. Um, this is just... I, nobody's playing in this movie for laughs, um, but he just plays this character so straight. And I love Sterling Hayden as an actor. He's just so, so good. He's like kind of like gruff, tough guy roles. And he brings that to this. And the character is insane, um, just completely insane. But he's played it so straight, and everything he's saying, he he has so much conviction for what he's doing and why he's doing it. And it's it's almost scary because uh, you know he's talking about like bodily fluids and essence and all that stuff. Like you realize, like um, uh, Peter Sellers' character is with him is like, okay, this guy's nuts, but like he is so sold on it, and he's causing all this like mass destruction, and he's the only person who has a plan. Like, he's the only one ready for this. Like, as crazy as he is, like, he knows what he's doing. He has a setup, and he's going to make exactly what's happened. He's the only one in control here. Everybody else in the war room or the plane, no one else has a clue what's going on. And um, he's just such a great, like, he's kind of like the straw, straw that stirs a drink for the movie. And um, I have, every time I watch this movie, I just have so much. Him, him and George C. Scott, I think, are my two favorite performances in this, but I think he's my favorite. Yeah, I'll I'll agree. I think uh, he he is so funny in this. I think I I think though it's necessary that, necessary that you have Peter Sellers in there because you need that very funny straight man to kind of interact off of his straight faced craziness, and I think that's what makes it funny. But he is so good because he is he's playing it like he's the villain in an actual war movie right mm -hmm. he's playing it almost kind of similarly to a film that came out that year burt lancaster in seven days in may it's actually if you watch seven days in may it's kind of a similar character and similar ideologies and similar performances the difference being that one character is way more absurd uh and yeah it, this is a great pick. I didn't even think about this, but I, I love this pick. I love that we got to talk about this. Jack, have you seen Dr. Strangelove? Uh, unfortunately not, but in a few weeks, more than a few weeks, I will have. That's fair. Scott? I've only seen this movie one time, and it was when I was in high school. I went in like my school library. We had a room in the back, and I went and watched it on like VHS or something. So um, it's safe to say I don't remember that much. Probably didn't appreciate it how I should have at the time, so I can't really comment on it, but um, I do want to rewatch it. That is fair. Okay, so uh, Jack, your first pick. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go with a uh, uh, – a duo of comedic villains for this pick it's the wet bandits because my goodness uh home alone is uh home alone is a classic of mine and the thing that makes it that puts it over the top for me is harry and marv uh, i think joe pesci and daniel stern give phenomenal physical comedic performances uh <coughs> I, everything from uh, e even before they uh, before they go into the house, uh, before they try to break into the house, their their uh, their chemistry together is just so great. And then once they decide to, uh, once they actually do try to break into the house and rob it, uh, seeing I okay, I I am I'm very deathly afraid. Like not deathly, I'm very afraid of spiders. Uh, and so that tarantula scene, when, uh, when uh, that tarantula scene both terrifies me and makes me cry laughing every single time I see it, especially Marv's scream, uh, kind of just puts it over the top. Uh, he's got the most hilarious scream uh, of anyone I've, uh, in movies, like it's, it's hilarious, but no, they're, they're great, uh, comedic duo in this. And I immediately thought of them when this list came up. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great pick. Uh, they, they are what makes this movie, uh, Stern and, uh, Pesci working off each other so well. Pesci, Pesci clearly 
trying so hard not to swear in a kid's movie. And honestly, that makes this performance like 20 times funnier because you can tell that Pesci is like, honestly, I think Pesci is like straining himself not to swear. And I think that that just makes the performance like so much funnier because this is a character who is, you know, kind of straining themselves and everything. So putting Pesci in that situation is great. And Stern, I, I just, I'm finding... I'm watching uh, Daniel Stern show up and things, and I just really dig Daniel Stern. I think Daniel Stern is awesome. Like, dude's my personal favorite part of Diner. Uh, if you've seen Diner, like, that's – I love him in Diner. He's also great in Breaking Away, great in a few other things. Uh, I really like Daniel Stern. I think they, they just work off each other so well. Scott? Yeah, it's a great pick. I was going to say the same thing that like I I actually love seeing Joe Pesci in a kid's movie doing his normal Joe Pesci thing. Um, mm-hmm. It actually works surprisingly well. Um, and they both seem like they're having a great time just making this movie. So um, I think it's a, another kind of obvious choice, but a good one. Absolutely. OK, uh, Kirk. Oh, yeah, um, I'm not a huge Home Alone fan as a lot of other people are, but I think they're definitely the best part of this. And I think like what like you guys kind of alluded to like they're actually playing like villains like they're like and I think a lot of it's because it's Joe Pesci and like we're trained to like be afraid of Joe Pesci, um, but like they're actually like kind of like sociopathic in this you know and that's that's seemed to be when you rewatch you see Joe Pesci as the cop in the house like talking to them that's actually that's creepy like you're like oh that's kind of you know, that's, you, that kind of freaks me out um and that just uh, makes for such a better payoff when it turns into a, to a wily coyote cartoon at the end and they're just getting the crap beat out of them um just like how it just completely turns everything on its head it's a lot of fun so so yeah that's a good pick absolutely uh now it's up for my first pick uh and i'm going with a as kind of scott alluded to with regina george sometimes a comedic character works so much because of the performance and I don't think anyone could have done better with this character than Timothy Dalton as Skinner in Hot Fuzz. I think that Skinner in Hot Fuzz is so funny because Timothy Dalton is playing it as like an action movie actor who is hamming it up so much as the over-the-top villain. And he's hamming it up so much that it becomes ridiculous and funny. I love I love the scene where he and Angel are jogging. And Skinner's just like, I'm a slasher and I must be stopped. I'm a slasher of prices. Like, he's just that grin. I love that shot of him next to the the picture behind him smiling like just just what a perfect ridiculous villain i i love uh everything uh about this uh performance uh jack oh yeah no he's fantastic in this uh in this film uh definitely one of the best parts uh for sure but no there's, I didn't even think of this when, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even think of this, but great pick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Scott. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's definitely having fun with Timothy Dalton, like the casting of Timothy Dalton in the first place. And you can tell he's like relying on his, um, experience doing action movies and being James Bond and stuff. And, um, you know, a franchise known for its over the top villains. So, um, it's, uh, it's a good choice with like some metal layers to it. Um, it's not, it's not like my favorite Edgar Wright movie or anything. Um, I don't rewatch it a ton, but I like the movie and the performance for sure. Kirk. Yeah. Um, I like it because I think it's like, uh, it's two levels. Like as an actor, he's making that choice to go completely over the top, but also the character I think is like so secure in what's going on. And so not afraid to, of getting caught that like he's fine just like being the, like like playing as the character playing of the villain like I'm gonna play this up and be the be the big boisterous bad guy and nobody could stop me so I just think that's that's a lot of fun the way he's playing that so yeah that's that's, that's another solid pick. All right, uh, so uh, now that now we go over to Scott for your next pick. 
Okay, I'm going to steal Boatman's bit a little bit here because I'm going to pick a Parker Posey character, and I'm specifically going to pick her as Fiona from the very underrated uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Um, this movie is so much fun. Um, it is not at all what you think it is going to be. It is you know, a satire of the pop music industry that still holds up very well. And Parker Posey is one of those people I think always understands the assignment um, in whatever, kind of like we're talking about with uh, Rachel McAdams as well, um, in whatever she's cast in. And, um, you know, obviously she has a lot of comedy experience with doing like the Christopher Guest stuff and all that. But here she just, again, totally buys into what this movie is. Like she um, knows the exact tone that it's going for and just goes full camp with it because that's what the character is supposed to be. That's what the, that's the level that the movie is pitched at. Um, and she plays like the CEO of this record company that is secretly like doing brainwashing stuff. Um, and she's a great mixture of like a, you know, a dastardly villain that is still a little bit of a threat for our heroines, but also like kind of dumb in a funny way. Like one of my favorite scenes is where she's talking to like this FBI agent and she keeps muttering stuff underneath her breath but not really muttering it, like basically saying it out loud, but acting like she's saying it under her breath. Um, and the FBI agent is like, I can literally hear like everything you're saying. He's just like, you know, standing right there hearing her. Um, so her and Alan Cumming, like you could have picked either one of them, I think, in this movie because they're both good. But Alan Cumming is just kind of playing Alan Cumming like he often does. So I went with Parker Posey because I think she is like the MVP of this movie. But it's a great movie overall. Very funny um and she's one of the best parts about it um so i definitely recommend that people check out josie and the pussycats yeah no josie and the pussycats is a movie that i did not expect to love as much as i yeah. did like this is this movie is actually like way smarter than you'd think it is like, this is actually really clever and a way more intelligent movie than you think. And Parker Posey is, like, at the center of it. Like, she's one of the reasons why this movie works so well. Because Parker Posey knows exactly what this movie needs tone-wise. And you need that just over-the-top comedy. And she brings it. And she is so funny. I love me some Parker Posey. And she is great in this. Kirk, have you seen this? I have not. Jack? Nope, but I want to. Fair enough. I want to mention, too, Garth points out that the music is great, and he is correct. It is great. And also, the song uh, Pretend to Be Nice that's in it is actually written by Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, who also wrote, of course, That Thing You Do, the song from That Thing You Do. So, you know, he's got he's bringing a good pedigree to the movie, and the song's super catchy, as all the music is in the movie. That is fair. Um, so... Now we go over to Kirk. Um, my next pick is a character that I love, and I brought this up when we did overall top 10 villains uh, on YLS, so I'm definitely going to bring it up for comedy villains. Uh, I'm going to go with Robin Williams as Rainbow Randolph in Death to Smoochie. Um, <clears throat> I love this so much. Like The movie is just such a fun, has such a fun conceit. It's like this children's television you know, production world is basically just a front for this basically criminal underground. And Rain Rainbow Randolph is in complete control of it. He's got all this graph and he's, you know, has all these, you know, things going on where he's basically just ripping off the parents and, you know, you, you know, grifting them and, you know, making them pay to get their kids on TV and do all this stuff. And uh, he just in complete control of it. And um, once uh, uh, Edward Norton's character comes along, he's a great foil because Edward Norton's basically playing like a Ted Lasso type, like super positive, like everything's great, like just the perfect person you'd really want doing a um, like a modern day Mr. Rogers almost like the guy you would definitely want in that position. And he eventually starts like take over for Raymond Randolph and like Raymond loses, loses all his power. And as he as his world starts to crumble, um, it's one of my favorite Robin Williams performances, just seeing this guy's life turn to crap and like him trying to get it back de so desperately and just becoming so pathetic. Um, it's like, it's one of my favorite Robin Williams performances. Uh, this is back like the, the era when he was doing like insomnia and one hour photo and um, final cut and all those. And I think this is my favorite of his like dark or like, you know, non comedic rules, whatever you want to call it, because you get that, like you get a very like visceral, you know, mantic, uh, Robin Williams performance that you're used to 
uh, but it has like that razor sharp, razor sharp edge to it as you play this character. So um, I think it's something that definitely belongs on this list. I have not seen Death to Smoochie, uh, but I, I'll be honest, I've been told Death to Smoochie is not great. So Kirk, you liking it makes me kind of want to watch it. <laughs> it's not the greatest movie you're ever going to see, but it's I like it. I think it's fun. Is it watchable? Is it like... Oh yeah, it's definitely watchable. watchable. Yeah, yeah. Give it on Leatherboxd. I think I gave it three and a half. Okay. Wow, yeah. a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Jack, what... Uh, 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 no, I haven't. And uh, Scott? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't seen it either. Okay. So uh, now we go over to Jack. All right. I am just trying to figure out who I want my second pick to be. And sure, I'll go with this one. All right. Uh, yeah, no, uh, my dad, my brother, they're both big golfers. So, and they both, uh, and my dad loves Adam Sandler. So, uh, specifically happy Gilmore. So naturally I've, uh, so naturally I have to pick Shooter McGavin, uh, who's just the biggest piece of shit, uh, who, uh, at first isn't totally like in the wrong like uh he thinks happy doesn't belong uh like on the on the tour uh but the way he goes about it as just the biggest dick possible puts him up there as one of the uh one of the best uh one of my favorite uh comedic villains he's got so many great back and forths with, with happy i eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast you eat shit for breakfast no <laughs> Oh, I, I I love this movie so much, and Shooter McGavin is a massive reason why. So, I think he's great. Hey, uh, yeah, Shooter McGavin is like very fun. Uh, I I think he's. I'll be honest. I think he's what makes this movie. I don't really like Adam Sandler in this all that much. I think Adam Sandler's fine. I think. I mean. For breakfast is like such that's a great comeback. It's because Shooter is so cocky. Like he's like I love the little finger guns and the just Christopher McDonald plays this character so well. Cause he's so hateable, but not but like in an entertaining way where you're laughing at how ridiculous this guy is. Uh yeah, this is a great pick. Scott. Um, I don't like this movie, not surprisingly. Um, I'm not a fan of Adam Sandler comedies, um, and this one I don't consider to be any better than any of the others I've seen. I knew that this one would probably come up. I don't have a problem with, you know, Christopher McDonald or whatever. It is a character that has kind of stood the test of time. And I will say that if you follow golf at all, which probably not that many people here do, but um, there are some golfers um on the tour right now who have some who have a shooter mcgavin like attitude that i don't appreciate so um i guess it has aged well in that regard but yeah it's you know i wouldn't i never would have picked it but i understand why it's on here that is fair okay so now um, we, her, oh sorry her, that's okay um no, this is a great pick like i i didn't even think of this i should have um I, I actually had another Adam Sandler movie villain in Vine. I don't know why I didn't think of Shooter because this is great. Um, when you have comedies like this, like the bad guy has to be like the perfect mirror opposite of the main character, like and just like be everything they're not in like good ways and bad ways. And I think Shooter's like so good at that. Um, he's just like so perfectly lame. Like how he keeps telling like the David Hasselhoff joke, and you know you just see like an insight to like who he is and just how like fragile he is. And how much he like how much he cares compared to how much uh, Happy doesn't care is what makes this movie so great. Like Happy doesn't care; he's like taking over, and um, you know this means every, this is the shooter's entire life. Um, and yeah, this is Christopher uh, McDonald. Like still, uh, this movie's what, almost thirty years old. Me and my friends, anytime you see uh, Christopher McDonald in the movie, it's like, oh, it's Shooter McGavin. That's his his name is Shooter McGavin. He's not Christopher McDonald; he is Shooter McGavin. Um, so that's a great pick. Great pick, Jack. That is fair. Okay, so now we go over to me. My next pick. I know last week was animated villains, uh, so I didn't want it. Actually, oh wait, no, I forgot. I've got, never mind. I was going to do uh, an animated villain pairing, and then I just remembered I've got something else. I'm going with Bill Lumberg. 
from Office Space. You want to talk about just completely punchable characters. I think that this one is absolutely one of the most punchable uh, I, we've ever had. Like, just the the complete what's happening, yeah. Like, the passive aggressiveness, the, you know, just the, the backhanded nature of everything. I, I love Bill Humber, Lumberg so much. Gary Cole plays him so well. He's just... He's he's just the epitome of just the worst boss ever. Like that's just who this guy is. And it's such a great character and a great performance. Um, that uh, did I say the? Well, I I might have said the. Oh, I that's what it's, I, it's I, on I, screen. Yeah, no, I was like, did I say the office. And also, the, the, Scott was like in the private chat. Oh, don't disrespect Office Space by calling it the Office. Not uh, the office. Is good. I know I have a hot, a hot take on that. Like, That's fair. I called it the office space. It's not. Don't call it that. <laughs> or the match, or you won't get the points. I I enjoy office space, uh, and I I think Bill Lumberg is so funny. Uh, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. This one was on my list because I love this movie, and the deadpan humor is is up my alley. That is in this movie, and. Um, Again, another one that has really is really like in the zeitgeist. Like you see this one getting memed a lot, and um, you know people love to speak in his tone of voice that he speaks in this movie. So it's it's really held up over the years. Uh, um, it's a fun one. Okay, um, so now we go over to oh yeah, Kurt Duh. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm a little. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I'm a little thrown off my game, Kirk. You're fine. Um, yeah, no this this is so good because it's so real. Like I've had Bill Lumberg as a boss before, um, just like that person who, like, if they ever had any personality at all, it had just been like grinded into ground into dust, and they've like sacrificed all of their humanity to like this job that really, in the grand scheme of things, does not matter at all. Um, but they have to like make it the center of your life too it's almost like they're trying to suck you into their world um so that's that's what makes us great that's why you know scott said about holds up that's why because this guy exists like everywhere in america like every office every job is going to have a bill lumberg um somebody who's just really it's just just a sad person who has unfortunately a lot of control over your life um so yeah he's he's a great pick yeah um so now we go over to uh, Scott. Scott, your next pick. Well, Jack, you didn't get to talk about it. Oh, you? Jack, oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. I yeah. All right, I'm between a couple. Um, just because Kirk's here, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Ben Affleck as Obanian from Days to Confuse. Um, this is uh, Ben Affleck, probably, uh, you know, I, I'm, do, I'm sure doing the very difficult role for him of playing like a fratty douche, basically. Um, he, you know, he's a high school student, of course, looks way too old to be a high school student. But um, yeah, his his uh, chief goal is to haze as many of the freshmen as possible and hit them with his wooden paddle. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's a great um you know, like he's definitely the villain of the movie because like a lot of the characters, I think it's ambiguous, maybe how you um, feel about them. It's not so easily easy as making someone a hero or a villain in this movie, but it's fun to have this like one character that like basically everyone is kind of united against. Um, and honestly, I well, will say you almost could have picked Parker Posey's character in this movie to some degree too, but um, no, I think uh, he's obviously the the villain of the movie, and um, it is great seeing sort of the dueling, um, you know, pranks and stuff that are going on between him and, um, and the freshman, and the way that it ends with him getting his comeuppance there, with getting the white paint dumped all over him, is perfect because it's one of those scenes where you know, he's getting drawn in by them and, you know, everyone is there watching him. Like basically everyone knows what is about to happen except for him. And when it happens with him getting covered by the paint, it's so satisfying. And then he just like disappears from the movie and is never seen again. So it's a, like a great final um, note to leave that character on with, uh, you know, the 
uh, freshmen and everyone getting their comeuppance. So it's a, a fun performance again by Ben Affleck playing very much down the middle role for him. Um, but one of the most memorable characters in the movie that is full of memorable characters, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, uh, O'Banion is the worst. I love O'Banion. Uh, like he's like, again, just like, I, I love the idea of him almost like purposefully not doing well so that he could haze the, the kids again a second time. Like that's really funny. Uh, Ben Affleck, I I've said this before. Ben Affleck's best roles are where they play on the fact that you kind of naturally don't like Ben Affleck. Like, that there's just something about Ben Affleck that's hard to like, and his best roles play on that, and he is so funny. That's, I love Days and Confused. Uh, Jack, have you seen Days and Confused? Uh, unfortunately not. I do, however, know a couple people that love Ben Affleck in pretty much everything he's in. <laughs> But I haven't seen it. That is fair. Uh, Scott? You mean Kirk? Or, yeah, Kirk. Everybody knows how I feel about this movie, so I won't go into that. But I think this character is kind of one of the problems of the movie. It's like he's he's a douche. But like the only thing that makes him douchier than the other main characters is that like we know the people he's attacking. And like so that makes him worse somehow. But everybody's just his best. That's fair. Uh, so... Uh, now, Kirk, let's take us home with the last pick. Okay, uh, last pick I think is a classic villain. Um, the actor is somebody we're not going to talk about, uh, but the character is definitely somebody who is in, like, the all-time great comedy movie villains. Uh, I'm going to go with Ed Rudy and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I think this is just such a great, um... He's just so good. I mean, I think it's, like I said, about playing a foil, like, and just be that person who is like, you need this character in this movie because Ferris is in and of himself kind of unlikable. So you need somebody who you're going to root against more than Ferris. And that's who Ed Rooney is, just trying to spoil this day. And you see that, like, it's not the big deal. Just kid take a day out of school. And it becomes like his obsession. And just seeing him get the crap beat out of him and just have like the worst day of his life. And it just keeps getting worse as Ferris's day gets better. It's so good, and it's just it's just such, like I said, the perfect foil, uh, you know, just that, you know, you have the high school student, you have the principal. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, yeah, uh, no, like, just the, the way this bleeds into obsession is so brilliant and so smart. Uh, I, I love uh, just uh Rooney just completely just going crazy cuz look is he correct is Rooney from an objective perspective of Ferris is skipping school and shouldn't do that sure sure is the it's the lengths that he goes to because he feels crazy that's what it is he feels crazy because everyone is pretending like what's happening isn't happening so he goes insane and that is so funny and so brilliant i i really uh think this is so funny scott yeah another one kind of like obanion where like some of the funny um you know part a lot of the funny nature of the character comes from watching him get got basically um and you know, getting knocked out and getting chased away by a dog and, you know, picked up by the school bus and everything. He just has a lot of moments of uh, kind of getting his comeuppance that are really satisfying. And when Kirk was saying, we're not going to talk about the actor, I was sitting here like doing the canceled lottery in my head of like, oh, who's it going to be? And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely not someone that we ever need to talk about, but um, the performance is, is still uh, fun, even though I don't love this movie overall. Uh, Jack? Yeah, this is a great pick. I don't know why I didn't uh, think of it, but great pick. I, I don't know if there's a scene in uh, what I don't know if there's a scene in a comedy movie where I've laughed harder than the phone call between uh, Ed Rooney and uh, shit. I'm forgetting his name now. Ferris's friend, uh, Cameron. Why? How did I forget Cameron? I it's know. only the name of like half the people in this community. So <laughs> fair. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, but no, that scene kills me every time. Uh, he's just, he, he's the perfect, uh, perfect villain for this movie. Uh, 
Yeah, no, great pick. That is fair. Okay. So now we go to In Bruges, uh, the movie that, oh, I should bring back what everybody uh, picked. We talked about Regina George, Jack G. Ripper, The Wet Bandits, Skinner, Fiona, Rainbow Randolph, Shooter McGavin, Bill Lumberg, O'Banion, and Ed Rooney. So now uh, we talk about the movie of the month, which is In Bruges. Um, I'll, oh I yeah, I ah, you start. Start because it'll be it'll be quick. Um, you know, again, as I alluded to at the beginning of the episode, I did get added today, uh, so I did not have time to rewatch this after um, work today. But um, I have seen the movie before. I do enjoy it. I enjoy Martin McDonough's style of black comedy a lot. Um, I think all the performances are really great. It's one I've wanted to revisit because it's been a few years, and a lot of people like really love it and talk about it as. Um, you know, one of the better comedies and everything from the 2000s, but um, just haven't gotten around to rewatching it. But I like the movie. If you're asking me what stars I would give it, I'd give it four stars out of five. All right. Uh, Kirk? Uh, yeah, I was late ad today, too. Um, and I am on the panel next week. So I, I could talk about it, but I'm going to wait to rewatch it. I'll talk about it next week. That is fair. Jack? Uh, yeah. Uh, about an hour and a half before the show today, uh, I was uh, I was uh, I was on Streamyard with John Petrovich, and I realized I hadn't seen In Bruges yet. So I have about ten minutes left, but I am loving it so far. I uh, I think Martin McDonough just works for me as a director. Uh, between this and three bill three billboards, uh, I uh, yeah no he hasn't missed so far. I think Colin uh, Farrell is fantastic in this. I he it's just. Oh, he, he's great, but no, Brennan, Brennan Gleason uh, and Ray Fiennes in their uh, their roles are just so perfect. Uh, I love Brennan Gleason so much and basically anything he's in, but he's, I didn't, I, I don't know what I expected this movie to be, but it wasn't this and I, I'm having a great time with it. So if I were to give it a star rating right now, I'd say four and a half stars. But uh, yeah, no, I, I really enjoy Ambrose. I think that I I love the dynamic between Gleason and Farrell, right? Because especially when Farrell is a little bit more manic and Gleason is like, you know, the steady hand, I think that's such like a great because Farrell clearly just does not want to be where he is. And he is so antsy, he's so like he's just he's constrained. It's honestly, it's kind of like Pesci and Home Alone a little bit. Where he's just, it's, he's constrained, even though, like, it's a different type of constraint. He's just playing constraints so well. And then I love towards the end where Ray Fiennes comes in. I think Ray Fiennes has one of the greatest insults in movie history in this movie to his wife. <laughs> I think that about the phone is one of the greatest insults in movie history. Um, I, I love this bit, or this movie. Uh, I, I would go four and a half out of five. All right, uh, so that concludes our show. Next week, we're talking Stephen King adaptations. Next week, that we have that movie's based on TV shows. And May 24th, action sequels. And May 31st, movies you wish you saw in the theater. If you want to be on any of those, let me know or let Timber Cullen know. I want to thank you to everyone for watching. Thank you to Scott, Kirk, and Jack. Have a good one. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening.